Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. There is a podcast that lies between the imagination of two simple-minded earthlings. Travel with these two longtime friends, Jimbo and 80s E, as they attempt to explore the fifth dimension. Follow along with them as they take the key and unlock the door to the vast space between shadow and substance. This podcast is one of trivia of insight, and of sounds and ideas from one of the greatest television shows ever produced. You are embarking on a timeless journey. There is your signpost up ahead. You are entering the tragedy of cinema's Twilight Zone. In this corner of the universe, a prizefighter named Boldy Jackson, 183 pounds and an hour and a half away, from a comeback at St. Nick's Arena. Mr. Bowley Jackson, who by the standards of his profession is an aging, over-the-hill relic of what was, and who now sees a reflection of a man who has left too many pieces of his youth in too many stadiums for too many years before too many screaming people. Mr. Bowley Jackson, who might do well to look for some gentle magic in the hard-surfaced glass that stares back at him. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast, the Twilight Zone series. I'm your host, Jimbo, and once again, I'm joined by my great friend and co-host, Mr. ADZ, Eric Cummings. Eric, how are you doing today? ADZ is here, doing well, ready to launch off into this uh, new episode. Glad that we've got uh, some new equipment to help us uh, along the way, and, uh, you know, we're always bettering ourselves, hopefully, and... Uh, you know, improving as we go along, and like you've said many times, maybe by the end of season two, we'll be actual pros at this. <laughs> right, and um, just so everybody knows, ADZ, he might be in the fifth dimension. He's he's up pretty early today because I have <laughs> some plans here in a little bit, so he might be on the struggle bus today, but Definitely here we go. Definitely on the this struggle is, bus today. Yeah. <laughs> this is episode number 27, The Big Tall Wish. Um, man, I got some stuff to say about this. I'm... I'll save it but because I don't want to start just dissecting it at the moment. So let's go ahead and get started, Eric. All right. The Big Tall Wish. This is the Twilight Zone episode number 27 of season one. And it was directed by Ron Winston. And it was written by Rod Serling. And uh, the featured music in this episode is by Jerry Goldsmith with... Uh, lots of harmonica solos, if you'll notice that in the, the music score of this particular episode. I believe it actually opens with a harmonica solo. Uh, so I, I like the music. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. I always like uh, the harmonica. Uh, the original <laughs> air date was on April the 8th, 1960. And the total production cost 
for this particular episode was $43,453.40, which is... Can I just say... Yeah. And it it shows... And it shows what? You lost me. The the last couple we've done production values have been up in the 50,000. Yeah, that's what I was going to... And I can tell by by the sets and all this, you can tell that they really went cheap here. Oh, okay. Um, You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you now. Uh, yeah, this is probably about close to ten grand under uh, what we've right. been seeing. But when, when we adjust that number for inflation, which is what we've been doing here lately, that number would be three hundred eighty-four thousand and seven dollars and sixty-eight cents for this uh, particular episode. When you adjust that in today's dollars, and I threw a little extra section in here. I found some tech specs. Uh, for all you tech specs uh, geeks out there, uh, for the actual episode. So the runtime is 25 minutes for this episode. The sound mix is mono. Uh, the color is black and white, of course. And the aspect ratio for this um, episode is 1.33 uh, by 1. And the negative format is 35mm. This is a 35mm uh, episode. The cinema uh, cinemagraphic process is spherical for this particular episode and the printed format is 35 millimeters so uh, some similarities there uh, with uh, some of the movies that we do as far as the tech specs go but a little different in the runtime of course um, I have go- a question for you yeah. I have a question for you real quick did you happen to see in your resource about uh, how much the actors got paid in this one I do I didn't uh, write any of that down but yeah it's in the 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 resource material that I have, some of the uh, dollars. Uh, maybe you should maybe you should look that up. I wonder if that's why the cost was so low. You know what I mean? There was. Um, a... I'll go ahead. And, I'll go ahead and jump into the cast real yeah, quick. Yeah, Start giving some stuff if you want to research that real quick because I wanted to. I wanted to see um, because of the actors in this movie if they were paid less. If you understand what I'm saying, yep. Which we'll get to here in a second. So. Um, I'll go ahead and say this right now. Predominantly, this uh, this this show is predominantly all African American actors. Um, so we're going to go ahead and give the uh, the um, cast real quick. Uh, the lead person is Ivan Dixon. He plays a Bully Jackson, who's a washed up boxer, and you might recall him from the famous TV show Hogan's Heroes. Um, he was also in Car Wash, where he played Lonnie. Um, then we have Stephen Perry as Henry Temple, who plays the little boy. He's most famous for the movie A Raisin in the Sun. Kim Hamilton, she plays Frances Temple, which is Henry's mom. She was uh, known for Guiding Light, the soap opera drama, uh, where she played Victoria Spaulding. Walter Burke plays Joe Mazel. Charles Horvath as Joey Consiglio. And Carl McIntyre as the announcer. He played the announcers and a lot of stuff from TV shows to uh, like The Fugitive, M Squad, and Canon One. So, um, Eric, did you have time to find that? I didn't find uh, exact salaries for my my info doesn't have that exact salaries for actors. But I do have a, a small paragraph that says this in the material that I have. It says this episode went into production at an estimated savings of $4,957, combining the above and below line estimates. Uh, It finished shooting on Thursday night right uh, on budget hours uh, as predicted. So it it doesn't really go into the actual numbers. But but does it say why why they saved that money? No. Just because they finished on time? uh, Apparently. uh, It doesn't go into a whole lot of detail. I know some of the episodes... 
uh, from the book that I have. It, it gives actual numbers, but for this one, unfortunately, we don't have that information. It just says they uh, that number that they saved. Uh, you know, don't know. So, All right. uh, do you want me to go ahead and move along with the plot? Yeah, yeah, the, move along. Move the on. the plot here in this particular episode is a tired old prize fighter named Bully Jackson wears a scrapbook on his face with each scar telling the story of past fights that Bully cares to forget. In an effort to redeem his good name, Bully sets out to fight the great uh, Consiglio at Nicholas Arena. Bully's biggest fan is a little boy named Henry who, with a head full of dreams, intends to make a big tall wish so his idol will win the bout. Before entering the ring, Bully smashes four of his knuckles, a sure guarantee that he will go down before the third round. Back at uh, the apartment, young Henry watches the fight on television. When Bully gets knocked out, Henry grasps at the television screen and makes a big tall wish, which I thought that shot was pretty cool, though. Um, to be honest, we're we're hugging the, yeah, we're hugging the, the TV in the back. Like, I just thought that was kind of a, a neat little, uh, yeah, a neat little... Uh, shot there. I thought that was pretty cool. Call it fate or call it magic. Bully and Consiglio switch places. Everyone congratulates Bully for winning, but when he confronts young Henry, the boxer learns the truth. Henry made a wish and it was granted. Bully, however, doesn't believe in magic and swears that the kid's world is... He tells the kid that the world is made of cement, heartache, and scars. The boy cries, explaining that magic only happens if you believe in it. Since Bully swears that he cannot believe in magic, the prize fighters switch places in the ring and Bully is carried out. Returning to the apartment, the boxer confronts Henry to discover the boy is still proud of him, but the lad has decided to stop making wishes. He no longer believes in magic. Bully wonders if maybe the problem in this world... uh, He wonders if maybe the problem in... This world is there aren't enough people who believe. So that's the probably the extended version of the plot. <laughs> Are we ready to move through the points yeah. in the yeah. uh, the episode? Or Jimbo, yeah. did you yeah. have any other comments uh, that you wanted to to make here? In no, the uh, no, I'll save it. I'll save it for here in a little bit. Okay. So we open the episode. Some guys sleeping under a paper on the stoop. It looks like it's uh, like in a major, like a major metropolitan area, and uh, there's a headline talking about uh, of the newspaper that uh, talks about Bowley Jackson, and then we come into what we come to find out is Bowley's uh, apartment upstairs. Which let me just stop right here. Some of the this is just a just a minor thing that I noticed that some of the resources that I looked up uh, in the plot. It describes Bully as, um, what's the what's the what's Henry's mother's name? Played by Kim Hamilton, uh, Francis is her Francis. Name. That he is Francis's boyfriend, but I don't think the episode it doesn't really imply that, does it? To me, no, no, I, he I, has I, his own place upstairs in the same like apartment building, and and Henry is just you know. He idolizes Bowley, and, and he's just visiting him, and he's more like a, I would say, like a father figure or a mentor type guy well, to it's, Henry. It's well, of, it's one of those things where, you know, um, it's it's kind of like the friendly neighbor is what I get yeah, from it. Yeah. Like he, he, pretty much he's known, he's a famous person that's known throughout 
the uh, city or the, the especially his neighborhood. And I think he since maybe they've been watching him since he came from that area and that he reached the peak level, you know, but he always kept, kept, kept time for his fans, I guess you would say, because later on in the episode, you see him on the street and everybody's coming up to him and talking to him. So usually when somebody hits celebrity status, they forget where they came from. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and they get this big head. And I think that he was just down to earth and he still, you know, was in the same neighborhood. He, he went back and lived there after he was washed up, done fighting or whatever. And I think he just became friends with all the people around him. Yeah, I think so, too. But um, at no point did I think that him and uh, Henry's mom were a thing. Yeah, no. It doesn't I never really, got that feeling. It doesn't really suggest that, yeah, either. So I just thought that was weird that the, some people wrote that in there. Um, so Bowley is he's uh, staring in the mirror. This, this mirror scene is actually kind of long. And he's describing all of the, the bouts that... Uh, you know, that he has had through his life. And he's describing his life as a prize fighter to Henry and uh, all of the scars and all. And, and he remembers each scar and each fighter and where he fought. And he says that you can you can tell a lot about the path of a fighter because it's um, what is it? How does he describe it? He says it's like etched into his flesh, kind of, you mm-hmm. know, describing all those scars. And he's excited, you know. One other thing too, um, this the actual fighter was actually supposed to be played by what was it? what was the boxer's Archie name? Moore. Ar- Archie Moore. Yeah, Archie Moore, which Ivan Dixon, I believe, at this time was like twenty eight. So he's a little bit young. I guess he's right on the borderline of an over the hill fighter, really. But Archie Moore was, I guess, a lot older, and that he probably would have fit the mold a little bit better. But I guess he couldn't pull off some of that the acting chops, and he didn't really have it. To, from what I understand, but um, Ivan Dixon again is pretty young, but I, I think he does all right as as far as maybe if he was a little bit older, it would have he would have uh, been more believable as an older fighter, you know, because you got guys like George Foreman and, and other guy, even Mike Tyson just fought not too long ago. I mean, these guys are fighting into well into their forties and fifties. Uh, I know things are a little bit different today, but uh, he he is kind of young. But anyway, um, Bully describes, and I'll, I'll set this clip up here. He, he talks about he's an over-the-hill boxer, and he describes here, I'm going to run off uh, some time here, and I'm going to insert a little clip talking about his, um, how he is, this this bout really is kind of like his chance. And another thing I want I thought of too, like it doesn't really tell us, in the episode, if Bully was a successful fighter in his early days, and now he's just trying to recapture that glory, or if he's just done this like for a large portion of his life and he never was successful, and this is kind of like his last chance to get to the top of the heap, if you will, and like before time passes him by. So I'm gonna put this uh, in right here. Tired old man trying to catch a bus. Is already gone. Left a couple of years ago. Arms heavy. Legs like rubber. Shorter wind. One eye almost gone. There I go. Running down the street trying to catch that bus to glory. Okay, so. Um, Bully has told us that 
uh, what he thinks about his, his boxing career. He gives Henry some advice on life. Henry tells him, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make a big tall wish for you, Bowley, that you're not going to get hurt. And so Bowley, uh, grabs his bag and he goes downstairs after they have their conversation up in the apartment. He comes down the stairs and he meets Bowley's mother, Frances, and she recounts to him a story about how, uh, you know, when Henry gets something in his mind, when he has, when he makes this big tall wish and she describes like a, a story about receiving a $15 check or something because uh, Bowley, or I'm sorry, not Bowley, but Henry makes this big tall wish. And sure enough, after he made the big tall wish, the money that they needed came in. And so uh, Bowley and Francis are having a, an, a nice conversation and, you know, she wishes him good luck and so forth. And um, then sends Bowley on his way um, to the arena and she tells him that, you know, they're going to, you know, they're going to be rooting for him. They're going to be, you know, watching closely on television, which they do. And um, so we move from this scene. Um, and Bowley makes his way. Uh, He's in the locker room or something, I believe. Yeah, they, he this makes his when... way. Sorry. Uh, he makes his way down the stoop. And uh, there's there there's a scene on the street with people who are, you know, encouraging him telling him to have a good fight and and so forth and he make he makes one last glance to Henry who waves to him in the window and he you know gives him the old uh wave back and then the next scene is we're in the uh the locker room of the arena and Jimbo did you have anything in in here that you wanted to uh to not talk yet about? Uh, we're we're not yet um we're getting ready to talk about the fight uh, here in a minute, uh, but he has a conversation here with, I, I guess it's the promoter and maybe a trainer. Yeah. Um, you know, basically it's like, all you gotta do is last two rounds. You know what I mean? You last two rounds here. And, and so basically he's, he's basically saying, look, I need you to last two rounds cause I put money on you basically. And he's like, um, remember he's like, uh, What's he say about? Um, Isn't he like a Don King? He's he, he kind of strikes me as yeah. like a Don King type promoter guy, but he's he's hedging his bet because he's betting on both fighters, and he's put twenty dollars on the guy on Consignolio or whatever, and that right. Kind and, of but, irritates but you remember Bully. he's like he's like, well, you know, you got to give me some inside information, you know. And he's like, no, he's like, I've never seen this guy fight. He's like, uh, you're a liar because right. I've seen you fight right. several times in the past few months. Now this angers Bully, and this is where he hurts his hand because he goes yep. and 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 he goes to punch the guy, and he punches the wall, bam! And so um, you come to find out that he busted four knuckles, is what they call it. So you don't know if his hand's broke, if it's just you know bleeding. You don't you don't really know. You know maybe it's just bruised. You never know. But I guess to a boxer that would be a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so he's getting taped up by the trainer, and um, Jimbo's already come to that point. Uh, where he punches the wall and uh, the, this promoter guy, I don't think his name's even given, like the promoter guy, he exits and um, the trainer's like, oh man, this is, you know, this is bad news. Like how, how is Bully now? He's already a quote unquote over the hill fighter and now he's busted his knuckles. Like there's like zero, ch if there was any chance it was completely gone now that he's gotten upset and, and punched the wall uh, over this. Um, you know, betting scheme or whatever is going on. 
And um, so the trainer, you know, he sits down and he does his best to put the glove. Well, one of the handlers comes in and I guess in those days, you know, like you only had one set of boxing gloves and and they just, you know, interchange them out for fighters. So like the little handler guy throws the trainer the boxing gloves <laughs> and says something like this bout is over the next on to the next bout or you're up or something like that. And Bowley is in a lot of pain. And I'm no, I'm no professional here, but I would, it stuck out to me. This is just a little thing too. Like I don't know anything about boxing really or in the inner workings, but like the tape job on his hands, it, it looks like there's very little tape, you know, that they wear uh, for under the gloves. It was just like, man, they're you know, this is not going to protect his hand at all as it looks, right. you know. And so anyway, that's just a little side note that doesn't really mean anything, but uh, the trainer. Puts the gloves on and, and Bowley can barely put his hand in the glove. It hurts so bad. And then the the next scene, um, which I thought was um, pretty pretty unique in how they uh, are describing the fight or how his, the directors bring you into the fight. There he's doing it with close up shots of like emotion of people's hands in motion, or he'll do a close up of the face facial features of the people in the crowd there wasn't like a wide pan shot of the crowd do you, do you know do you know why no no please tell i'm getting i'm getting ready to tell you here we go, go. this is from my my handy duty uh the twilight zone companion book which okay. i absolutely love yeah so it says the director of the big tall wish was ron winston who also did uh the monsters on maple street if you remember so he had some problems here that's different from monsters on maple street and Monsters on Maple Street, basically, you had a ton of people, a ton of cast, you know, all set yeah. in a small setting. Right. He's like, but one of these problems uh, that uh, was, was shared by every television director who's ever had to stage a prize fight. How to give the feel of a crowded arena without being able to hire several hundred extras. Mm-hmm. He said, to overcome this in the Big Tall Wish, the camera uh, comes in close. We see the hands of the spectators as they react in various ways to the fight. One man eats popcorn, a woman peeks out from behind the spread fingers, a man's fist mimics the blows he sees falling or flailing in the ring. Through these a uh, few shots, a composite impression is formed into a larger reality. Yeah. So by just by just looking at a select few and, and, and amplifying the crowd noise, you feel like you're in a big prize arena. Because if you look, the ring's lit up by lights and then it's pretty dark on the outside like yeah. a normal fight is. Right, right. Yeah, I, I thought that was uh, pretty well done. and that, That's some interesting... Uh, facts about uh how the director ron winston pulled that off and so we're in the ring and these two consiglio and bully are slugging it out and uh henry's at home and he's watching intently on tv he's sort of crouched by his mother and he's you know he's uh, making all the jabs and the and the punches <laughs> you know like all of us kids did like i know i did that when i watched rocky uh the movie that was like one of my favorite uh boxing movies ever uh, but anyway, uh, Bowley gets knocked down, and the referee is standing over him, and uh, everything stops, like time freezes. And why is that? Well, that's because when Bowley went down, Henry is on the other side of that television screen, and we come to find out he is making the big, tall wish. He is wishing and hoping that Bowley would get switched with Consiglio, and then... Well, but you... What you got to remember though is that the the uh, ref was already at number nine. I mean, you only get a count of ten, and so right. it was the it was, he was wishing ever since he went down. But I yeah. mean, it was at the last second. It was at the la- you're right, the last possible second. Bowley, all of a sudden, 
the time unfreezes, so to speak, and all of a sudden, Bowley is standing up being declared the winner, and Consiglio is the one that is on the mat getting the 10 count. And then uh, the next scene after uh, Bowley, it's interesting too because Bowley kind of has that, um, he's kind of confused when he's you know, like, holding his hands up. Looks like he's a few nuggets shy of a happy meal right there. Yeah, he, he doesn't, he's confused, he doesn't know what's going on. And then the next scene is back in the locker room with the trainer. And Bully is like, maybe you know, maybe my uh, hand wasn't broken after all. And the trainer kind of looks at him like, "What are you talking about? Like bro- broken hand?" And and then he was like, and the bully made a comment like, "Man, I really thought I was out of it when I went down." And the trainer is just looking at him full of confusion and is just like, "What are you talking about, Bully? You never went off your feet the whole the whole bout." So you know, again, there's just some confusion. And Bully's like, yeah, when he knocked me down, like I went out and, you know, they go back and forth like this for a little while. And it's like everything that happened in the fight got reversed and or erased. And so Bully just kind of, you know, he lets it go. He he doesn't quite understand, but he's like, hey, man, you know, I I won. Everybody's telling me I won. Like, I'm just going to go with this. He, you know, he just kind of gradually, I guess he is confused, but he accepts it. And then he, he, the next scene is he's out on the street and he's walking back home. This, you know, and everybody's congratulating him and patting him on the back in the neighborhood, and they're like, "Man, you clobbered that guy. That was a that was a great fight." And blah blah blah. And Bully's excited. And then uh, the next scene we come to, it looks like the rooftop of maybe the apartment building, and then there's like a rabbit cage, and Henry is feeding. It looks like he's got some pet rabbits, and. You know, Henry comes over and congratulates Bowley and says, "Man, you were like a tiger out there, Bowley." And uh, <laughs> and Bowley's like, "Yeah, man, that guy must have hit me a uh, fifty times." I and I don't remember a doggone thing. You know, like I was I was fighting back, but you know, he, he's still kind of trying to shake off the confusion of what happened. And then we we come to find out that Henry is. Uh, well, Bully says, man, this must have been like some kind of dream or something, you know, because, you know, just trying to shake that off. And then Henry kind of like drops his head and goes back to the rabbit cage and says, you know, Bully, I I made the big tall wish. Like uh, when you were off my off your feet, like like I wished harder than ever that uh, you would be the one uh, being the champion and that Consiglio, you know, that you guys would basically switch places. And then Bowley's like distressed at this point. He says, "Man, I was I was on my way out, and like, uh, how, you know, kind of like he, he's having trouble reconciling because Henry just, you know, he believes uh, so strongly in in magic, and he talks a lot about the, the magic of the Tall Wish. And then, uh, you know, Bowley is trying to explain to this young boy like there's no such thing as magic." You know, wait till you get your face beat down in the, in the world, and it gets rubbed into the cement. He makes a comment similar to something like that, and he's like, "I'm too old to believe in magic. I'm too old to believe this. I, you know, I can't, uh, I can't, you know, uh, my my days are are gone for believing in miracles and things like that." And uh, he tells uh, Henry, "Like you're nutsy to think about." believing in magic and so on and so forth and um then we come to the end of this scene it's a really impassionate scene where Bowley is kneeled down and he's trying to explain all these things i just 
um, talk to you about. And um, then we enter, I think this is the part, Jimbo, if I'm not mistaken, we, we go right back into the ring after this. Yeah, forgetting the, well, how, we, how we transition from this scene. The, I think I think uh, Henry runs away from him or whatever, and Bowley looks up at a light or something. Remember? Yeah, and they, the light they, transitions. They, he, yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, Bowley gives him a big hug, you know, and and Henry is crying because he's just crushed that his idol, you know, hero, yeah, yeah, doesn't believe the same way that he does, which is understandable. And then you're exactly right that pan the camera pans to a light, and then we re we go from that. I couldn't remember the transition point, and we re-enter the ring. And and then we see some of those tight shots again of the people in the crowd, and then down on the mat is Bowley instead of Consiglio, and Bowley is the one that's counted out, and um, which I don't know if you have this in your notes too. I guess just another from the cinema, cinematographic uh, arena. I guess they shot those shots through a glass or something. The the camera was under like a piece of glass to shoot those scenes where. Um, I thought that was kind of a cool, I don't know how revolutionary it was at the time, but you know, the, the camera pointing up and, uh, you get the viewpoint from under, it almost looks like a viewpoint from underneath the ring. Uh, I thought that was kind of interesting, but Bowley is the loser. In fact, because of his lack of ability to believe in magic or wish, and then he's making that same stroll back through the neighborhood after the fight. And instead of getting all those congratulatory handshakes and pats on the back, there's really no one um, save one person in the neighborhood and everybody's inside and, you know, the reality sets in of what happened and he's got big bandages on his eye now and he's got bandages on his hand where, you know, the broken knuckles from before. And he goes to the apartment and Francis greets him at the door and, and she says, you know, Henry's in bed and Bully asks, Heck, well, can I go talk to him? And she says, sure. And he goes into Henry's room and to his surprise, Henry is not really devastated, you know, like he thinks. And, he, you know, Henry's still proud of him that he fought a good fight. And, uh, but he's come to this conclusion that he's just too old to believe in, in wishes or to, to believe in magic anymore. And, you know, that's uh, kind of the conclusion. I've sped it up a little bit, but um, the, the conversation yeah, does go on for a He basically tells him, like, hey, tomorrow we'll go get hot dogs and ice cream yeah, in the yeah. park or something. Yep. You know, and, yep. and it's just like another day, you know what I mean? And then it pretty much ends right there. Yeah, and then the, the episode pretty much ends uh, with uh, Rod's narration. Right. It, it's, it, you know, it was pretty uh, lackluster to me, uh, the whole the whole episode pretty much. Um, so let's talk a little bit about this stuff. I'll go through some of these notes real quick before we dive into some of the deeper stuff that we're going to talk about. Um, after airing this episode with its nearly all black cast, revolutionary for American television at the time, the Twilight Zone was awarded the 1961 Unity Award for Outstanding Contributions to Better Race Relations. And I think a lot of that goes towards uh, Rod Serling and, and his vision. Mm-hmm, uh, absolutely. But, but, but I got a quote here in a little bit we're going to talk about, and it's really eye-opening. Um, Ivan Dixon would go on to portray Sergeant Kinklow on the popular World War II POW series Hogan's Heroes. Get this. In 1997, Cam Hamilton, who played Henry's mom, as uh, Francis, married Werner Klimperer. You know who he was? He played Colonel Clink on Hogan's yeah. Heroes. He was, I thought that was pretty cool. I, I saw that in the uh, in my reading as well, and he was like twelve to fifteen years her senior too. Uh, yeah, 
Oh, was... I, I thought he was old and Hogan's hero. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he was a lot older than um, her, too, yeah. Walter Burke, who plays Ivan Dixon's trainer, and Charles Horvath, who plays Dixon's opponent in the ring, reunited seven months later for an episode of Lawman in 1958 titled Lawman, Samson the Great in 1960. Curiously, this episode also involved a boxing match with series star John Russell fighting to win a bare-knuckled brawl. Ivan Dixon and Stephen Perry, which is Henry and Bowley, would act together again in the 1961 motion picture A Raisin in the Sun. So I, I might have to check that out. I heard yeah. good things about it. Uh, Ivan Dixon and Walter Burke worked again on the first epi- uh, first season episode of the Hogan's Heroes called The Safe Cracker uh, Suit, a Suite. Dixon was regular on the series while Burke made a guest appearance. Um, let's see, I, that, that I, need, I need to read that. That's, that's the quote I got for later. I got something uh, about uh, Archie Moore here, yeah. going back to him. This is originally cast in the lead role. We talked about him earlier. Uh, was champion boxer Archie Moore, who later exclaimed, Man, I was in the Twilight Zone when describing the punch delivered by his opponent, Yvonne Durrell, in an actual, I guess, boxing match. I thought that was uh, kind of funny. Uh, and the yeah. boxing match takes place in St. Nick's Arena, which was the name of the boxing arena in New York City, St. Nicholas Rink. So apparently that was an actual <laughs> that was an actual place in New York City. Right. Um, this is also one of the several episodes from season one where some broadcast prints have the opening title sequence replaced with that of season two. This was done during the summer of 1961 to help the season one show fit in with the new look of the show that had been taken with the, uh, for the following season. Uh, this is a few of the other Twilight Zones following an example of this episode and cast black actors in significant roles, including the pastor in I Am the Night, Color Me Black with Ivan Dixon. A Child in the Mall in The Night of the Meek, and The Electrician in The Brain Center at Whipples. These inclusions, though seemingly insignificant by modern standards, were so revolutionary at the time that the Twilight Zone, like I said, was awarded the Unity Award for Outstanding Contributions for Better Racial Relations in 1961. And also, uh, let's see here, where was it? Uh, the hallway shown in this episode is also used in Mr. Beavis, which we'll be coming up to here before the end of season one. <laughs> I, episode thought, oh, I thought you were going to say uh, Forbidden but, Planet, and I was like, not again. <laughs> <laughs> no, but slightly altered. However, the door and the stair railings remain the same. Um, so I'm going to read this quote by Sterling um, out of my trusty Twilight Zone companion book, just so you can see um, what his thoughts were, and then Eric, I think you have something that we discussed, an allegory basically between the ring and, and, and um, Mr. Dixon. Yeah, I just got bully. some some questions and observations that right. we'll get to kind of at so, the end of the episode when we talk about our collective thoughts on it. Yeah, so here's another little paragraph from my trusty duty companion book. The theme of the Big Tall Wish was nothing new, being simply a reiteration of the old saw about the washed-up fighter and the adorable little boy uh, the lugs just got to win the big fight for. But Serling had a couple of twists in mind. For one, the central drama of the piece revolved around a belief in magic. For another, both the fighter and the little boy, along with the boy's mother and all the people in the neighborhood, were played by black actors. In 1916, casting blacks in a dramatic show not dealing with racial issues was something practically unheard of, but this was a deliberate move on Sterling's part. And here is Rod Sterling's quote, and then I want your opinion on it, Eric. He says, and I quote, Television, like its big sister, 
the motion picture, has been guilty of a sin of omission, he said at the time. Hungry for talent, despite for the so-called new face, or sorry, desperate for the so-called new face, constantly searching for a transfusion of new blood, it has overlooked a source of wondrous talent that resides under its nose. This is the Negro actor, end quote. Now, I really like this quote. Now, now he uses that word there. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that word, just so everybody knows. But I, I didn't want to misquote Serling there. But at the time, Serling's like, look, he's like, you guys have actors, you have great people, you have wondrous talent right here, right under your nose. But you guys are so caught up in skin color that you won't give them a chance. And I really, really like his quote. He's like, look, he's pointed out to him. He's like, look, you guys don't understand. He's like, you got wonderful people right here, right here, but yet you won't do anything about it. Yeah, he, he definitely was a uh, a beacon for change in the uh, show business industry. And, you know, it's if you read any anything about uh, his biography, uh, anything about his life, he was always fighting for the little man, uh, so to speak, uh, f- fighting for the person who was left out or excluded. Um, equality and, is what it is like. Inequality, exactly. And so, uh, yeah, that, that that's obvious. Just taking a cursory glance at Rod Serling, uh, yeah, he, he really, well, if he believed in something, he was going to fight for it. And it was obvious that, you know, he was, he was kind of revolutionary in the time and space in American culture where we were in the 1960s. And yeah, he was a, he was like a trailblazer uh, for that. And so, yeah. And lots, what I, what I like about Serling... And what I like about him, too, is like his producers and directors are like, hey, you got to cut some of this stuff out. And he's like, no, no, it's stayed in. Or he'll say, okay, and then he'll do it anyway. You know yeah, I mean? yeah. <laughs> um, one other piece of trivia that relates to Sterling from the boxing angle. Sterling's interest in boxing dates back to his childhood in upstate New York and memories of a, f- a fading Jack Dempsey training for a comeback at Saratoga Lake. The same day Rod Sterling graduated from high school, he enlisted in the U.S. Army 11th Airborne Division as a paratrooper. Uh, during uh, basic training, he took up boxing. Uh, fighting in then uh, the catchweight division, he enjoyed a 17-bout winning streak. In the 18th fight, a professional boxer was brought in t- who broke his nose in two places and sent him to defeat in the third round and thoroughly convinced him to give up boxing. His personal <laughs> misadventure didn't dull his taste for the sport. One fighter dwarfed all others in Serling's memory. That was Joe Lewis. Who the, uh, whom the playwright regarded as the greatest fighter, pound for pound, who ever lived. While recognizing the sport's evils, Serling refused to subject his audiences to pan, uh, pedantic moralizing on its shortcomings. Instead, he saw, it at, he saw its finer side. A good fighter is a piece of art, Serling once commented. So uh, fighting and boxing was near and dear to his heart uh, as well as um, the other... Uh, the other uh, issues that went into this episode, it, it seems like he they were passions of his, the, the boxing and civil rights, if you will. He kind of combined those two issues and put them in this uh, episode. And, um, and we got an episode of The Twilight Zone out of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, pretty good. Pretty good stuff there about uh, Rod Serling. Anything uh, in closing? Do you want me to go ahead and ask what what was your overall take uh, of no, the episode? No, 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 because no, 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 because uh, I got a couple of things that we're going to talk about for you. Okay. For, for, for we talked about this yesterday when we did our little uh, trial. Okay. For one, um, why don't you give the audience uh, your feelings on the difference between a wish 
a magic oh, yeah, and yeah. miracle because they all are mentioned in this episode. Yeah, that was one of my. If I had a criticism, I think uh, just speaking, I think I I like the episode probably more than you. I didn't. I think the rating if. The rating is a six point seven on IMDb. I thought it. I thought it was very fitting. I don't think it ranks near the top of. You know, we do this for every episode. I don't think it ranked near the top uh, in season one. I think it's probably in the bottom half, and uh, maybe even a little bit lower than that. But the six point seven rating, I think, is fair. One of my criticisms, though, that I didn't like is how the episode uses the words "wish," "magic," and "miracle" interchangeably. When I believe they are in fact defined very differently, a miracle, for instance, has nothing to do with the other two, meaning wish or magic, but in fact is a supernatural act by the divine. Magic is no more than a sleight of hand or an illusion. So, you know, I just think there needed to be a distinction there because Rod Sterling in the closing narration uses a miracle um, and, and wish and magic are used throughout the episode and they're used as interchangeable terms and I just wanted to make I just wanted to point that out that they are defined differently uh, in, in my opinion right you can't just keep interchanging them yeah, like that you can't lump them all they're together not, they're not the same thing yeah right? you can't lump them all together that, that was and now point. now the other thing I'd like to talk on about for a second is I thought you came up with a really good allegory yesterday that you, you threw at me and I was kind of like whoa because um, I didn't even think about it um so why don't you go ahead and give the audience what you what you presented to me yesterday, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, just the and I may be I may be digging too deep overthinking. here I, and overthinking. <laughs> I may be it may be reaching on my part, but just at the time and place and the culture and history, the thing that Rod Sterling did though he didn't he didn't throw um, the fact that they the actors were all African American. He didn't. I mean, you saw that on the screen. But this, there were no hints uh, about racism or equality or civil rights throughout the story. You know, it wasn't in the dialogue or anything in the story storyline leading up. Uh, it was very subtle. But I did kind of dig this out. And it's just a question that I have. And the question is this. Is it possible that the boxing ring in this episode is a metaphor for civil rights and equality? And that Bowley is just too old and beaten down by the scars of life to believe that change will ever come in his lifetime and Henry, on the other hand, is young and he's very hopeful, uh, you know, and, and he believes that the, the changes uh, are possible and that they will come. Uh, and the old Sam Cooke song, uh, uh, Change is Gonna Come by, uh, you know, old <laughs> Sam Cooke, 1960s um, uh, R&B singer. So that was just a, something that I threw out there that, you know, that I thought about. And it if... It, it, you wouldn't catch it. It's really, really subtle. But just the way the dialogue reads kind of, kind of got my mind going down that track, and I just kind of wondered. Right, and 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 you got me thinking too because the scars on that bully has that that are visible on his face. Maybe you know, maybe deeper than that. It may just not be scars on his face, but scars that have happened in his life. Right, uh, not from fighting, but I mean for fighting, but not for physically fighting. Um, just because of where we were in society at that time. And then, you know, um, he's hoping for a day that things will change, you know, but you'll never forget. And then you have young Henry, who's never had any any experience with that. I mean, he's a kid. Exactly. Everything's fine and dandy to him, you know what I mean? So... 
Yeah, just one other quote here by I, by the uh, Twilight Zone companion, which you're holding right now. Mark's, uh, Mark Scott Zickery writes this, The subject of race is never thrust upon the audience in this episode. I think Serling wanted the story to stand on its own, and I respect him for that. However, it most definitely bears mentioning, especially when you consider the context of the time and place in America. Uh, that the And you talked about this earlier, Jimbo, that they all black principal cast was a novelty for television in 1960 and uh, I thought that you know that's that's definitely worth considering and it was it was a novelty at the time but um, I may be digging a little bit too deep uh, the, with the the whole metaphor of the boxing ring and stuff no, 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 that was pretty good because I never even I, that never even crossed my mind hey you know what it may have not crossed Sterling's mind right. either but I we don't think- know but I think you can actually draw that conclusion from it easily. Yeah, yeah we 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 joke all we joked the other day. Like, man, I wish we could sit down and interview him and ask him that, and ask oh, him about this so one, awesome. and ask him about plenty of the other episodes. Like, were you thinking about Oda Bango when you wrote? Uh, the, people are like, it yeah, everywhere. people are like all over that episode. You know, that that'd be something that'd be really cool to sit down and pick his brain and ask him these things. All right, Eric. So. It's time. Give me your thoughts on this. Give me your thoughts on this. Give me your thoughts on this episode. I really think. Yeah, I stated earlier. I think it's right where it needs to be. Um, yeah, I don't think it was one of the best. But again, like it's a Twilight Zone, and you know I love the Twilight Zone. It, the rating I think is right where it needs to be. Uh, wasn't in the top ten for sure. Uh, the story is. Um, it, it you know it's it's an old classic story of the the washed up boxer trying to trying to make a comeback and you know i, I love um boxing movies like rocky all the rocky uh movies are like one of my uh favorites and so i you know i like that in cinema or, or in tv raging bull was one and then there was one with the uh, uh, there was one i liked as a kid i forget the, the uh, ricky schroeder and his dad's like a boxer. That's a really offbeat movie. Like that's probably a B-rated movie that I really liked as a kid. And, and I thought oh, you this, go way down. Yeah, I can't remember the, the title slips my mind now. But I know Ricky Schroeder was in it as he was like seven or eight. I might have been like his acting debut. But anyway, I digress. I thought this was a, a. I probably liked it a little bit better than you. I didn't think it was terrible, but it it wasn't in my top ten. But right. it was good. Right for me. Um... I loved Ivan Dixon's portrayal. Uh, you you told me he was only twenty eight when they did this. I I, I believed he was probably much older. Yeah. Uh, by the way, and and I think the little Henry, I think he played an excellent role. But you know, with little kids, they only give them pretty much the a couple of lines that are repeated. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Please, you got to get up, Mister Bully. Please, you got to get up. Um, yeah, you know, some that, of that, that was my, some of that I was know. a little bit sappy and kind of over. Right. But um, I mean, as a kid, like I thought he did okay. But then, like I was telling you, like the props for the set, and I don't know if that was on purpose, you mm-hmm. know, make it look, uh, you know, like like downtrodden, slummy, whatever you want to mm-hmm. say, the bad side of town. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you just, it just, I wish there would, I wish they would have put more into it. Uh, maybe, I mean, I don't know what it's missing for me, but I mean, the acting was good. I just think the story was weak. Um, I don't think this is, to me, there wasn't that big Twilight Zone twist. Um, you know, you can make the statement that Bully never really actually had all the rest, that the victory and all that, that he was knocked unconscious and then he just came back too. Mm-hmm. So to me, there wasn't that big Twilight Zone twist that we're so used to seeing or the reveal or something like that. Yeah, he, he was the other guy in the ring. Okay, we get it. Um, but to me, this is probably in the bottom three of season one. Um, 
and it's not because of the acting. Um, it's just the story, I think, to me, just, just did it in for me. I mean, I'm not a big boxing fan anyway. Uh, so, I mean, now if it's WWE, then, then we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> boxing, not so much. Um, but I do appreciate Sterling for uh, what he did for all the actors and everything. So um, I think that's good. Um, but other than than that, eh. Yeah. Now, I do, okay. like, um, yeah, I do like... Yeah, I do like... One thing that I didn't know if you caught on to was uh, Bowley. Okay, think about this. Bowley, you change a couple of letters around and it could be Bolive. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I mean I'm just saying. I mean, seriously. Uh, you know, Bolive. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. So, that's my take on it. Uh, you guys can write in tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm right, if Eric's right. If we're both wrong, it's the greatest of all time. Uh, like Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Uh, this episode... Uh, Flew like a butterfly, then stung like a bee. Yeah. Uh, but with that being said, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. Mr. Bowley Jackson, 183 pounds, who left a second chance lying in a heap on a rosin-spattered canvas at St. Nick's Arena. Mr. Bowley Jackson, who shares the most common ailment of all men, the strange and perverse disinclination to believe in a miracle. The kind of miracle to come from the mind of a little boy, perhaps only to be found in the Twilight Zone.